stranger and homeless, you took my family in. So hungry and thirsty, you fed my wife and kids. And we'll miss her deeply here with us. Oh, we'll miss her smile, her
following the service this afternoon, the family invites you to join them for a luncheon in the church community room, which is located directly behind the sanctuary. We'll give you an opportunity to share with family and friends as we continue to celebrate uh, Bonnie's life in Christ. And the family will be proceeding to the luncheon immediately after the service, and we invite you to do the same. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, yet shall they live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Behold, I died and am alive again. And I hold the keys of hell and death. Because I live, you also shall live. We have gathered here today to praise God and to witness our faith as we celebrate the life of Bonnie Macbeth. We come together to acknowledge God's grace in our lives and to acknowledge our grief at this time of human loss. During this hour together, may God search each one of our hearts that in pain we may find comfort, sorrow, hope, and in death, resurrection. Almighty God, you are our refuge and our strength. You are a very present help in every time of trouble. We pray that your light will shine through the shadows of this hour. We pray that you will comfort our hearts that are heavy with sorrow. We ask that you would have compassion upon our weakness. We pray that you would give to us a vision of your greatness and surround us with the hope of the larger and greater life that you have promised to all who believe. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I invite you to stand as we sing together.
Bonnie asked that I speak at her service as her sister and her friend. On behalf of our family, we thank you for being here to honor Bonnie. We are overwhelmed by the number of people whose lives God touched through her. We are comforted by your love and your presence. Each of you had a unique connection with Bonnie, and we look forward to hearing some of your stories. God placed me 14 months behind Bonnie in a family of three girls. Becky was the oldest. I was named Lauren, but my family has always called me Lori. Four years after my birth, Lonnie was born, and then another 11 years later, Bethany was born. And yes, we shared one bathroom all through the teen years. But wait, when Bethany was the only daughter left at home, our parents moved to a house with two bathrooms. As Bonnie's younger sister, I benefited from her knowledge and experience. I watched and learned from her example in so many ways, spiritually, physically. Many of you may not know how athletic Bonnie was when she was younger. She was the one that usually organized wiffle ball or run down or red light, green light in our backyard. In junior high, she played on the field hockey team. The next year, I joined her. In ninth grade, she went out for track. She was fast. The next year, I also did track. In high school, she got a job at the public library to begin saving for college. Then she helped me get a job there. She started at Houghton College in 1973. The following year, when I went to Houghton, Bonnie gave me tips and introduced me to her friends. She went far beyond the call of duty when she invited me to join her along with six of her friends during spring break in 77 on a road trip to Cocoa Beach. Two weeks ago, I followed her one more time as her little sister when we met those same friends in Fort Myers, 35 years later. Another benefit of being Bonnie's sister was that she was the best advocate anyone could have. I have no doubt most of you here experienced that passion Bonnie had for fighting injustices and her desire to help and defend anyone in need. When I first came to Houghton, I was crushed to discover my Western Lit Advanced Placement exam score had not been accepted, and I had to retake the whole course. Undaunted, Bonnie made an appointment with Professor Lindley, and together we pleaded my case. (laughs) Thanks to Bonnie, I didn't have to complete the term and received the college credit I had counted on. As her sister, I didn't always appreciate Bonnie's involvement in my life. (laughs) 
the seemingly endless delving questions she would ask. But Becky, Lonnie, Bethany, and I always knew without a doubt how deeply and compassionately Bonnie loved us. In 2009, God gave me an opportunity to begin giving back to Bonnie some of the time and love she poured into me for 53 years. She graciously accepted my help and often had projects ready and waiting for me to do when I visited. I savored her trust and friendship. I was grateful she was willing to share her struggles and her pain with me as well as her joy. For the last month especially, she overflowed with her newfound joy in beginning each day with no expectations. Handing God, as she put it, a blank whiteboard, ready for whatever he had planned for her. During one of my last visits, Bonnie and I talked about memorizing scripture. She was frustrated with her increasing forgetfulness and lack of mental clarity. When I asked her if she knew any psalms, she didn't hesitate. She recited the whole chapter of Psalm 100. Bonnie embodied the words of that psalm in life and in her death. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For his mercies endure forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Hi, my name is Sherry Horst. My previous life, some of you may have known me as Sherry Rollison when I lived here in Houghton. Bonnie and I became friends 37 years ago when we both worked together as counselors at a camp on Seneca Lake. By the time we graduated from college two years later, she was my best friend and has been for 35 years. Bonnie has had four wonderful sisters that she has loved dearly. You have heard from one, Lori, and Bonnie is now with another, Lonnie. Bonnie and I did not have familial connection, but all the same, we were sisters of the heart. Soul sister, that was what we called each other in recent years. As long as I've known Bonnie, Bonnie's relationship with Jesus was the priority. 
She sat at the feet of Jesus with her Bible, her prayer journal, and her heart. She immersed herself in spiritual direction while living and serving as a missionary in Australia. She would seek the heart and perspective of Jesus on everything. Herself, her relationships, the people she worked with, and even the people she saw on TV. She had a super sensitive spirit to the injustice that people, especially children, experienced. Their pain and suffering ripped her heart. She even had to monitor what she exposed herself to, especially movies. Her passion was to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to show his love and compassion where she could. She led a team to South Africa in which the team helped women dying of age to make a scrapbook for their children. But she's found suffering in her own backyard, Buffalo. She began as a tutor to a young refugee boy, and her ministry grew to reaching the larger community of refugees in Buffalo. Barbara Lee and Rebecca were just some of the names I frequently heard. Bonnie was all about relationships. She was 100% present to the person she was talking to. She would seldom answer the phone if she was talking to you. So as not to distract herself by the person on the phone. The only exceptions were if Christy or Scotty called. And maybe Wayne. She asked questions, always wanting to know more of what was going on, deep under the surface. She listened, really listened, and cared. She cried with me and for me. She encouraged and affirmed me. She seemed to know my heart, my desires for good, even if I fell far short of those desires. She seemed to see my heart, and she loved me. She purposely looked for the image, the image of God in me and all the others she loved and had contact with. Then she would gently fan embers, embers of that image of God and encourage it to grow into a full flame. But Bonnie also knew how to celebrate. She loved a party. She was often the planner and organizer, making it all happen. And her life was so full and joyful, almost erupting out of her. It drew so many of us to her and whatever she was delighting in. Two weeks ago today, I was in Florida with Bonnie and four other of our close friends from our college years. She swam in the ocean. 
and she couldn't help but cry and then laugh and then cry again. She was so, so happy. She kept saying, this is wonderful. This is heaven. Sun, water, and friends. On my final night in Florida, it was just Bonnie and me. I think I must have had a dream. For in the morning, waiting for Bonnie to wake up, I remembered it. I remembered passing from one room to another. I couldn't see anything. Everything was dark. Then I heard Bonnie's loud, raucous, almost triumphant laugh. Even though it was dark, I knew at that moment, knew that I was in heaven. I remember thinking, funny. I thought the first thing I would experience when I got to heaven was Jesus' face, not Bonnie's laugh. Oh, well, I continued thinking. I guess that will come too, Jesus' face. I think to know Bonnie was to experience a little taste of the love and compassion Jesus has for us. I think she brought some of heaven to earth in her modeling of him. And now with her gone, heaven is looking better and better. There's a current popular Christian song. I asked Bonnie if she knew it. She said she didn't. But it says, save a spot for us. And so, save a spot for us, Bonnie. We'll be there soon. Hi. I'm Carol Young-Jones. I also lived in this community for a long time, and it's wonderful to see many of you I haven't seen in a long, long time. I met Bonnie as an 18-year-old freshman at Houghton. She invited me to lunch one day. If any of you know, that is exactly like Bonnie, initiating in people's lives. We have shared our hearts and our lives openly over the years and found a deep and abiding friendship that only time and commitment could give. I found this poem. I took the easy way out. I found this poem in a book entitled Seasons of Your Heart by Macrina Whitaker. I took a little liberty with the words. This is my poem for Bonnie. A Song of Thanksgiving. My heart proclaims a feast. I have come to sing you songs. I sing of your warmth. The steady glow of your friendship keeps melting the ice in my heart, bringing light to the core of my being. I won't forget your warmth. I sing of your conviction, your passion for the truth, your daring spirit, and your boldness 
that give courage to my fear. Your thirst for justice that calls forth our need to care for the poor and the homeless. I won't forget your conviction. I sing of your gentleness, a strength sometimes hidden behind firm convictions, a strength I once couldn't see because of my own walls of fear. Your gift is now out in the light. The veils from my own eyes have been lifted, and I celebrate the gift of your gentleness. I sing of your conversion. I celebrate God's love for you and your constant coming home to that love. I honor your ability to repent, your willingness to examine your heart. I celebrate your readiness to be transformed. I sing of your hope. Your willingness to go on when all seems to be crumbling, not with eyes seeing all, but with expectations of the promise. I celebrate your hope. You're waiting for our God to fill up what is lacking in your life. Thank you for letting me be part of your hope and allowing me to stand on tiptoe besides you. I sing of your love, your life spilled out, that jar of perfume that is you, poured out over Jesus and poured out over me, and all who have passed your way, poured out joyfully at times, poured out reluctantly at times, but poured out all the same. I celebrate your love, your emptying of yourself. Your life poured out, I celebrate today. And finally, I sing of your forgiveness. You're loving me anyway. I celebrate your patience with my brokenness, my walls of fear, my defenses, my not being ready enough or good enough. I celebrate your forgiveness, your compassion your love, and your understanding. My heart proclaims a feast for you, Bonnie. I have come to sing you songs of thanksgiving today. I am most grateful for the 39 years of faithful friendship with Bon. I am more of the person who God made me to be by sharing life love, pain, and laughter with her. And I know that you are too. I want to give you the opportunity to share briefly uh, a memory, a story uh, of Bonnie, something about uh, her that you remember, that you'd like to share with us. We do have a Microphone that just would help everyone be able to hear. So we'll pass that around. Just hold that close to your mouth and uh, we'll take care of the making sure the amplification is correct. So we'll have a couple of opportunities here to, to share. I want to give you a chance now who, to, uh, to share some of your thoughts and memories.
Hi. My name is Barry Keller. Carol and Barry are sister-in-laws of Bonnie. And I just thought how pathetic and age-appropriate it is that I only have two things to say but how to write them down. As we all know, relationships with Bonnie are deep and long-lasting and also at times come at a high cost. When the kids were young, the Macbeth clan would get together at the beach once a year for a week, and one of the highlights was a theme night. One year, Bonnie offered to do a 101 Dalmatians theme night, and maybe you saw the pictures in her book. She made Dalmatian hats with dog ears, masks, everything was well done as Bonnie did. About a month before the week, I got a phone call. Would I be in a 101 Dalmatians skit that Bonnie wrote? I think I mumbled something about get Wayne to do it and hung up. Two weeks before, another phone call. Wayne won't do it. Because of our relationship with Bonnie, hers with the nieces and nephews, and my disgust with Wayne, I said, okay. On the big evening, we were having a ball. The kids were having a great time, looked like Dalmatians. And I found myself in high heels, lipstick, and a fur coat as Cruella DeVille. <laughs> Incidentally, I would have loved to have been in on the conversation of Bonnie trying to get Wayne to do that job. <laughs> Relationships with Bonnie are deep and long-lasting, and they also have the occasional and enjoyable unique twist. The second thing I want to say about Bonnie is that she was a great barometer of where you are in a group when telling stories or jokes. Wayne, not so much. Here's Wayne normally. Here's Wayne cracking up. Bonnie, on the other hand, you could read like a book. Her first level was lips closed, just a little grin, almost Wayne-like. That meant she had heard you, but you were barely humoring her. The second level was also lips closed, but the occasional... <laughs> she thought what you were saying had some merit and was a little cute. Third level, she was laughing out loud like one of the pictures. You were doing pretty well, and you deserved some feedback. The fourth level, she, as sitting on a chair or at the table, would do the laugh-out-loud thing, but she would start to hit the table. <laughs> At that level, it could only... And in addition to that, she would let out what could only be described as a muffled scream. <laughs> you were really on your game at that point. The fifth and relatively infrequent level, every other year, every third year, she would do all of the above, but then in addition to that, she would stamp her feet at the same time. That meant you had reached the peak and were doing your very best. We are going to miss Bonnie for all the, for all the unique things she contributed. Wayne, you could really help out by stepping your game up once in a while. We should all live and laugh more like Bonnie.
Now I get to do the serious part. Um, Barry was a little hard on you, Wayne. But seriously, we both really want to express publicly to Wayne how moved we've been to watch you care for Bonnie in such a God-honoring way, just as you promised in your vows 34 and a half years ago. You've been Bonnie's encourager, her nurse, her confidant, her advocate, her rock, in short, everything that a spouse should be. Thank you, Wayne, for being such a, such a great example in your loving care of our sister Bonnie. Uh, recently, Barry and I read a book about the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and we felt that this quote of his was particularly appropriate for today. I'm going to put my glasses on so I get it right. <laughs> there is nothing that can replace the absence of someone dear to us, and one should not even attempt to do so. One must simply hold out and endure it. At first, that sounds very hard, but at the same time, it is also a great comfort. For to the extent that the emptiness truly remains unfilled, one remains connected to the other person through it. It's wrong to say that God fills the emptiness. God in no way fills it but much more leaves it precisely unfilled and thus helps us preserve, even in pain, the authentic relationship. Furthermore, the more beautiful and full the remembrances, the more difficult the separation. But gratitude transforms the torment of memory into silent joy. One bears what was lovely in the past, not as a thorn, but as a precious gift deep within, a hidden treasure of which one can always be certain. Growing up in the Macbeth family, serving others was modeled and carried out in a lot of practical ways. Aging parents were cared for, missionaries, among many others. I think some in this room were recipients of great meals and comfortable beds. We were taught to do for others. But when Bonnie entered the Macbeth family, we were beautifully shown that serving others also including, included the developing and nurturing of relationships. Bonnie always had time for conversation. She had the gift of truly listening, as was mentioned earlier. She didn't have the need to interrupt to interject her own thoughts. After listening and asking questions, she would give a thoughtful, measured response. And Bonnie always seemed to have endless time and patience to play games with all the nieces and nephews at family gatherings. And building relationships with the next generation and promoting their own relationships with each other was clearly very important to Bonnie. And the Macbeth family also so appreciated Bonnie's heart for those in need. And we were on the receiving end many times. Uh, one incident which still touches me happened near the end of my mom's life while she was living at our home. Mom's failing health made it seem unwise for me to participate in a short-term mission trip that I felt moved to be a part of. And Bonnie, she loved missions. She loved my mom. She loved us. It prompt, she prompted her to put her own plans aside, and she offered to come and stay and take care of my mom during those two weeks. And my mom felt so affirmed and encouraged by her willingness to sacrifice her time. And more recently, even in the middle of difficult cancer treatments, Bonnie still clearly demonstrated her heart for the needy. 
Wayne and Bonnie stayed with us for a couple weeks this past August while she received radiation treatments in Philly. And during that time, we hosted our annual picnic for the class of adults with special needs from our church. And Bonnie just came home that day from a treatment. And in spite of the painful neuropathy in her hands and nagging nausea and fatigue, she willingly served food and spent personal time getting to know many of the class members and the caretakers. Later, she spoke of many of them by name. And even weeks later, she expressed a desire to begin a similar ministry if her health would have allowed. She just never seemed to quit thinking of others and how she could serve them. There will be an emptiness now in the Macbeth family, and we will surely miss Bonnie. We're so grateful for, and we are richer because of her willingness to so freely share those gifts that God gave her with our family. Good afternoon, and thank you all for coming today. Uh, My name is Philip Simon. There's an old joke about mother-in-laws that goes like this. My mother-in-law is an angel. She's always up in the air harping about something. (laughs) I'm not certain if Bonnie and I laughed about this, but we laughed often about jokes that we had together. She understood me. She allowed me to be who I was, and she accepted me for who I was. That was just Bonnie. Around this room, there are many people who knew my mother-in-law from a variety of contexts. You may have known her from church, which is not surprising, since above all else, she was a committed Christian who loved the Lord with all of her heart, and she wanted to share Jesus with everyone that she knew, and she shared it by living it. You may have known her from work, where she served helping those develop their career paths, or in the mission field in Australia, or many of the refugees that she loved in Buffalo. Or you may have known her through her children, or her husband Wayne, which is not surprising since God came first, her family a close second, and vacations on the beach with a book and water a close third. Or you might have known her because you're one of her children. These, are the, these two are easy to find because of the aroma of their lifelong raising, spoiling, and love and influence that Bonnie's had. Hearing so many of the different stories throughout the past couple of days, it's clear to see her influence and impression not only on Scott, Wayne, and Christy, but all of you. It's amazing what the, the lives that she's touched. However, one person in this room has a different context, a different way of knowing her. For me, she was my mother-in-law, and I got to really know her and appreciate her from this very special context. You see, knowing her from church, you may know that she's very knowledgeable about Scripture. Knowing her as a mother-in-law meant that having the love of God thrust upon you, like it or not, it was coming. That was the expectation if you were going to marry one of her children, which I did. Christy. Sorry, Scotty. Knowing her from work, you know that she was a type A driver personality who'd spent as much time needed telling you how to get stuff done and talking through it and working with you uh, as what you needed to get it done. You might think knowing her as a mother-in-law would mean that she would spend hours attacking and telling me how to treat her daughter. Well, you'd be wrong. She simply loved and laughed with me. She accepted me for who I was and loved us through all of our times. Over time, you realize that she simply had the same standard for me as she had for her other children which is to say a very high standard. She definitely wanted the best for her children, but she also expected the very best from them as well. It was true for her children, but also for the people that she married or will marry. Knowing her as a part of the family, as you all do here, you know that you were loved, 
You know the high expectations that she had for not only you, but for herself. Knowing her as someone who married into the family, I knew that I was loved just the same, but loved voluntarily. It meant knowing that she would want me there for holidays and would have a unique gift just for me, even if it meant sending Wayne out for a sewing kit to sew my name onto a stocking. One gift in particular that I remember was a pen that had a little Chia Pet head and a recording in it. And, and it was funny because I was going through a hard time at work, and her and bon, or Bonnie and Wayne both knew this. And Bonnie took the time to record in there, you know, thank you for your service. That was just Bonnie, always worried about someone else and their problems, always forgetting about her own, always dying to self, always caring for others. We laughed at this for hours on end. It meant knowing that she would brag on you, being one of her children or in-laws, it meant that she would brag on you and your accomplishments just as much as she bragged on her own children. Knowing that she was a mother-in-law, you might expect her to be the embodiment of every mother-in-law joke there ever could be. Knowing her as my mother-in-law, I learned that she was much, much more funnier than any other joke, and she never took herself too seriously. It meant endless stories of family and friends, a never-empty Christmas stocking with my name on it, and a fi- filled with chocolates, candies, goodies, and other miscellaneous items. Truth be known... My mother-in-law is an angel now, which is no surprise to me or of any of you. Proverbs 31, 25 through 31. She's clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom, and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but her spirit surpasses them all. Honor her for all that her hands have done, and let her works bring praise at the city gate. Good morning. Uh, My name is Karen Carpenter. I'm from, uh, Bonnie and I are first cousins, Sharon and uh, my dad, our brother and sister. And there's nine of us uh, women, uh, five in the Wheeler family, uh, four in the Carpenter family. And uh, my father has just learned how to text and he's in Arizona and couldn't be here. So he uh, wanted me to stand and to say finally um, to my cousins, yes, he adores each and every one of you. But the truth is Bonnie was in fact his favorite. And um, the reason why is because, and Sharon, I don't know anything about this, but I'm sure you remember, from the very early age, age two, um, Bonnie would always perform for him. And there was one particular verse. He can't remember the whole thing, but she always did. The birdie with a yellow bill hopped up on a windowsill, and it kept on and on and on, and he would do it on command. So for that reason, at a very early age, I guess she became the favorite. And uh, for me... I've grown up with, and um, over the years, oh, you're just like Bonnie. Oh, you laugh like her. In the good and bad, by the way, the big mouth, the big laugh, um, but hopefully also the special heart. And, uh, you know, she, Bonnie and I uh, didn't always spend a lot of time together, but we were with each other in spirit and email. And one of my favorite memories of uh, Bonnie, Lonnie and I was at a trip um, in Florida visiting Lonnie, and Bonnie was there. Bonnie and I were in an argument. And I believe it was over who was going to get the Arby cherry pie for Lonnie. And we both wanted to go get it. 
because that's what Lonnie was eating at the time, cherry pie. She loved them. And so we fought about who was going to go get it. Now, I won um, uh, and went, but Aunt Bonnie, I didn't eat any of them. Bonnie ate most of them. And we laughed and we cried and we laughed. And it was the loudest laughter of three people that I think I'll ever remember. Um, and so if uh, people say throughout the years that I, was, that I am like Bonnie, that's a very, very proud moment uh, for me and my family. So we're happy to be here and, and, and praying for you all and know that the carpenter side is um, um, always with you. So. My name is Anna Ireland, and Bonnie and I co-founded Hope Refugee Services together. I think the interesting thing is I don't actually remember that first time I met her. She just sort of was in my life one day, and it felt like she'd always been there. She started volunteering for me when I was working at Journey's End. And there's a project some of you might know of called the Priscilla Project of Buffalo. It's one of those refugee projects that everyone takes credit for starting. But the fact of the matter is it was Bonnie and I who started it. Um, The name was actually from Bonnie. She thought the project represented a good, strong Christian woman and that those who participated in that project needed to have those characteristics. The interesting thing is that the first woman that Bonnie mentored, she went over to their house to take them to a doctor's appointment. She used their car seat, which apparently had a bit of a cockroach problem. And I don't know that those cockroaches are yet out of that car. But that did not stop her from continuing to work with refugees and moving forward with the Priscilla Project. That was the first time we worked together. It was the prelude for what later became a much bigger project of Hope Refugee Services. And even today here, there's refugees from all over the world that drove down from Buffalo to remember Bonnie and her efforts into starting that program and to starting Hope Refugee Services are going to be long lasting and she's remembered by all those communities even the ones that couldn't drive down here as being full of compassion full of respect and being someone who could help restore dignity and hope to people who had been through serious trauma So, to the family, we're all going to miss her. I know that a lot of the work that she did was at a sacrifice to maybe spending time to you, but as has been stated, she loved people and she loved to fight injustice. So our thoughts and prayers are with you. I'm Bob Tice, a 34-year-long friend of, of Wayne and Bonnie. We met at Houghton College, where I also met my wife, Polly, who passed away two and a half years ago from breast to brain cancer. And um, I remember to this day when Wayne and Bonnie came to the memorial service, 
because Bonnie was not feeling well, and despite the fact that she was not feeling well, she came to the memorial service to honor Polly's life. And two days later, she was diagnosed with her cancer. And I just want to say, Wayne and the family, uh, I love you, and I'm here and standing with you. And I've kept a journal ever since my wife's passing. And one of the things I've done in that journal is I've recorded those who are in Christ who would have greeted Polly when she arrived in her home going. And then I began to record those who passed away after who were also in Christ that Polly would have greeted. And I can only say to you that that must have been one magnificent, magnificent greeting uh, because there are both extraordinary believers. So God bless you, Wayne, and I'm with you and standing with you. Good afternoon. I'm uh, Jim Carroll, my wife Nancy. We're from Buffalo, New York. Um, when I look back over my life, there's four or five people that stand out that redirected where I'm going and what I'm doing. A lot more people than that tried to redirect where I was going and what I was doing. But um, you have to be a person like Bonnie to redirect a life. She, Nancy and I met her in uh, the spring of 2007, not nearly long enough ago. Um, and on <clears throat> uh, Thanksgiving of 2008, I wrote a very long letter that I wish I could read to you, but I won't. Um, on a weekend when our life just changed its course, and uh, that year and a half had Bonnie's input along the way. She, um, she prayed with me. She talked to me. She encouraged me. She involved me in her work, but never made that my work. She was looking out for me. And um, my wife and I partner and share and welcome and care with and for and have relationships with Burmese refugees in Buffalo, and that's largely due to Bonnie. And I just wanted to give you a little piece from this letter that uh, that shows um, the reach of what Bonnie was was doing. We hear about her work, but not many of us are the receivers. The very first extended family that Nancy and I. Um, met and became friends with, and they might be here. Um, I didn't see them, but they were coming. Um, Bonnie had visited them the week before. We went to visit them when they had run out of the food that Bonnie had brought, and then we helped with anything else that was needed. I asked them why they came to Buffalo, because they didn't land in Buffalo. They landed in New York City, and they said... We couldn't survive there. Why did you come to Buffalo? And through the interpreter, uh, this is how I put it in the letter, um, they had heard of a flower in Buffalo. And this is quoting them. We wouldn't think to say it this way, but this is what they said. 
the aroma of this flower has drifted, had drifted to New York City and even beyond to the Thai refugee camps. I ask about this flower. You know, it's kind of nice to hear about this flower. Hope Refugee Services. And the person that they met from Hope happened to be Bonnie. And when they met Bonnie, the gas got turned on in their apartment and the electricity got turned on and jackets came and blankets and anything else Bonnie could borrow and take from the resources that she had. Um, there are a lot of flowers on the west side. Anna, won't, Anna Ireland won't like me calling her a flower, but Anna is a flower on the west side. Um, Bob Tice is, Pastor Bob is a, is a flower on the west side. There isn't a, a bigger flower on the west side than, uh, than Dr. Myron Glick. There are children named Glick on the west side. Um, but in my life, the biggest flower, the one with the most aroma that caught my mind that the, the sacrifice that God desires is that we care for the widow and the orphan and the sojourner, the refugee that's amongst us. Body did that very well. And there are more people on the west side uh, of Buffalo that are following that heart. And, uh, and uh, Wayne came along and loved Nancy and I and uh, encouraged us along. And then, if, if you're from here, you probably remember... Um, this church and Houghton College opening the doors to Korean refugees from Burma uh, last summer, 400 of them from all around the country. Um, I bet Bunny had something to, uh, to do with that too. So God bless you, Wayne. We love you. And uh, my wife's life and my life are, um, are different and they're blessed because we've known Bunny. today and they wanted to share a song uh, so we're going to ask them to do that now and then when they're finished we'll have a, a bit more time for, uh, for sharing so if you guys want to come and do your song
Thank you so much. Others like to uh, share a word of memory. My name is Dana Britton, and I was blessed to have Bonnie come into my life 31 years ago. It's one of the reasons, one of the many reasons I'm grateful that I married Tom, because Wayne was our best man. And so we were friends as couples together for all these years. And there are three things in particular that stick out of how Bonnie has impacted my life. I was so grateful that we were here in the Houghton community the first three years of our married lives because one thing very clearly was the art of Christ hospitality that I learned through Bonnie. As they lived in the Victorian home just down the street, their door was always unlocked, and there seemed to always be some student that couldn't afford to stay in a residence hall that was living with them, and we had many meals. Uh, in their home, and we knew that we could always just walk in the back door, that it was always open for us. The second thing is, and I've shared this with many of our friends over the years, is what we learned from Bonnie and Wayne about not holding on or caring about possessions. That any possession they had, whether it was their home, their vehicles, their food, Uh, they were always a gift from God to share with others. Uh, A story that I remember very clearly, when we were traveling from Pennsylvania at my parents to come to Beaver Perkins' funeral, and we were about an hour and a half away from Houghton, and our car broke down. And uh, Wayne came and picked us up, of course, like he always would if something like that would happen. And it was a pretty major repair. And so we found out it was going to take several weeks to fix. And they only had, Macbeth only had one car at that point. And right away they said, take our car back to King's. We were working out in Westchester County. We said, well, what are you going to do? And they said, we'll be fine. And so they gave us their only car to drive six hours away for however long it took for our vehicle to fix. And then met us halfway in between when our car was repaired. The most significant thing that I've learned about Bonnie, and sometimes am criticized by by my children because I've really tried to develop that art, is to ask piercing questions that go deep into the soul. And uh, we'd get together with Wayne and Bonnie, and we'd be laughing and just enjoying each other. And then Bonnie would just come up with this zinger that just, it was like, I don't want to talk about that. That's too painful. Uh, I don't want to bear my soul. But she had such a gift. And that was shared by some of the women earlier. But I don't think we can say that enough, what so many of us have learned from Bonnie, of asking the hard questions, of probing us as to how we really are doing spiritually. Just three weeks ago, they unexpectedly stopped. Wayne called and said, we're headed home from St. Christian, Scotty, and Phil, and can we stop by? And we said, sure. How far, far, how far away are you from the house? Well, we're in front of your house. <laughs> and that was so delightful and unexpected and really our last opportunity to see Bonnie. But even in those unexpected hours... She kept on focusing on us from our last conversations in December when we spent a weekend. How are your jobs? How are your ministries? How are the girls? And we'd go around the circle, the four of us, again, and catch up. And when they pulled out after those last hugs of saying to Tom, oh, if we, I wish we could have just spent the whole time probing her, but that wouldn't have been Bonnie. Because Bonnie always asked the questions and always cared 
through her whole cancer journey, she always focused on the needs of others and how everybody else was doing. So hopefully we will continue that legacy. I need to ask more of those difficult questions of my children, <laughs> of my friends and my coworkers. And that is truly a legacy that she has left that has empowered us, that has helped us to get to know Jesus in us much better, hold us accountable for our vocations and are we making a difference. And uh, Wayne, Christy, Scotty, Phil, we will miss her so much, but her legacy will live on with all of us. Thank you. Uh, my name is Tom Britton, and um, uh, it's an interesting thing. I've, of, I've often felt that um, the truly astounding thing about Jesus Christ wasn't so much that he healed the leper, but that he touched the leper. And um, Bonnie touched the leper in me, as she did with so many other people. And that's, that's the truly amazing thing about her. She wasn't afraid to do that. And then um, that touch always came with uh, a, hum, a humble spirit, and uh, the touch was always a healing touch. And uh, if I am a good counselor today, it is in large part because of Bonnie Macbeth, because Bonnie knew how uh, to touch the wounded, the hurting. And um, I will forever be grateful for that. One of the things I always loved doing, and I made it a goal, was whenever I was around Bonnie, I wanted to make her laugh. And uh, Barry said it beautifully a while earlier, but if I could get her to bend over in laughter, and that was usually at Wade, Wayne's expense, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> Uh, that was a that was a wonderful day, and um, um, uh, Bonnie always brightened the room when she came in, even when she was hurting. And uh, I will forever be grateful to her for that. My name is Goody Stevenson, and uh, I have known Bonnie for uh, 29, 30 years now. We really became better acquainted when we were both pregnant, her with Christy and I with my youngest son, Eric. And I can remember, uh, to illustrate how Bonnie had a way of the iron sharpening iron that's spoken about in, Chris, uh, in, in the Bible that many people have referred to her ability to... Um, challenge each of us who knew her as we got to know her better to uh, live up to the high expectations that scripture places on us. And um, I think in our culture, it's easy to accept a lot less than what we're capable of. And uh, we were sitting in the wooden shoe. Some of you will remember the old Houghton Inn that became the wooden shoe. And uh, Christy and Eric were several months old. And Eric must have been quiet for once in his life at that time because my first two boys were pretty easy, and Eric was a real challenge. And, of course, I was an old lady by the time I had him, so that made it even more difficult. And I can remember saying to Bonnie, I was kind of down blue, and saying to her, I am so disappointed I had a boy again. And, um, and he was difficult, 
cried a lot, and I just couldn't seem to do anything to help him be content. And uh, she looked at me, and she said, almost with a finger in my face, Goody, he's healthy. You will do just fine with him because see that little girl, Christy, right there? She needs good Christian men to have a pool of suitors when she's grown. And if you women who have sons don't raise good Christian men, girls like my Christy won't have good men to marry who will be faithful to them. And we can laugh about that. But I took that to heart. And um, Eric continued to be difficult for a few years. <laughs> but he's a great person today. And I often think of how God used Bonnie to help me be a better mother that way. And that was just a very small example of many things that she did. And another thing I'd like to underscore, we've talked about Bonnie the friend well, most of us, I think, like exclusivity with friends. As Christians, we don't like to admit that, but we like having our own little special circle of people that we can call our own. Bonnie wasn't like that. I think there were many of us who wanted an exclusive relationship with Bonnie because she was that flame that drew us to her. But she reached out to so many different kinds of people. And it warmed my heart and it challenged me in ways that I know I would never have been challenged. And I think there's a big takeaway for any of us here today. And that's to be more like Jesus because people like Bonnie help us be more like Jesus. afternoon. My name is Sharia Mayo. Um, the first time that I met Bonnie was around the time that um, her nephew and I, Tim, were um, planning a wedding. And um, just as a side note, whoever said that planning a wedding was supposed to be the happiest day of your life lied to me. So it was a really, really tough time. But um, first time meeting them, um, Bonnie and Wayne, and we met at a restaurant. And I was just so nervous because I was meeting Tim's family for the first time. And I was like, oh my gosh, what do I say? Are they going to like me? Um, so we sit down. And um, after that introductory awkward period where you're, you know, introducing yourself and, you know, what are you doing? How'd you guys meet? Um, I don't know how the, uh, the topic, um, we got to the topic, but um, Wayne and Tim started talking and Bonnie grabbed a menu and she kind of covered both of us and got really, really close to me. And I was like, Oh my gosh, what is she doing? I'm, I'm sick. I don't want to get her sick. I don't want to breathe on her. Um, I was telling her that, um, you know, it was really tough for us because we didn't really have any money. We were kind of broke. Um, and, uh, it's, it's the SpaghettiOs, tomato soup, um, grilled cheese sandwiches kind of broke. Um, and I was telling her, um, that, you know, I didn't find a wedding dress and I was just going through a lot of stuff. It was really tough for me. And she unexpectedly offered to pay for my wedding dress. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, this woman that doesn't even know me, um, 
I don't even have to be officially married to her nephew to be her family for her to do that for me. So I was very, very touched. And um, I remember maybe two years ago when we went to go stay with her and it was the time when she was sick and um, we sat down at the table and um, we talked like talked and she really paid attention to me knowing that she was going through a really difficult time and she was going through a lot of pain. She sat there and really listened to things that difficult things that I was going through. Um, and when the last time she was here in Florida, um, knowing that I was going through some stuff at the time, um, before she left, she said, um, I'll be thinking of you. And I really wish that I would have said that I'd, I'd be thinking about her too. But I guess she knows that now. Um, I wanted to sing um, a song, but because of the time constraints, I couldn't really do it. But I, if I can, I would like to just sing the chorus. Um, it's called Heaven Song. And hopefully it gives you guys peace and comfort knowing um, that she's in heaven and what she's doing right now. It goes, um, I want to run on greener pastures. I want to dance on higher hills. I want to drink from sweeter waters in the misty morning chill. And my soul is getting restless for the place where I belong. I can't wait to join the angels and sing my heaven song. So we know that she's in heaven now and she's looking down on us and she's with the angels and um, we can take comfort in knowing that we will be reunited with her again. Thank you. Well, how do I follow that up? Um, that's my wife. My name is Tim Amayo, uh, her nephew. And uh, I didn't really have anything to say when we came in here. I didn't really know what to say. When you start listening to people talk, uh, and you hear the different relationships, you can tell a lot about a person um, from how different people view that, that person. I think I have kind of a unique view growing up um, in a family with strong examples of uh, couples who love the Lord. And you realize as you get older, you get out into the world, that's very unique. And you almost never see that. Um, and that means a lot to children to have, you know, I'm really thankful for, um, Bonnie and Wayne and Peter and Lori and Chris and Beth and, um, you know, my parents and, and Lonnie and Charlie, it just strong couples who are dedicated to each other, couples who love the Lord and pour into kids from a little age, Bonnie would organize games for us. And we felt welcome in each other's homes. And it's, as you grow older and you speak to your, your, your friends and people that you meet, and they didn't have those kind of experiences. And it's sad that they don't have that kind of close family structure. And, and it's, it's really amazing. I'm just really thankful for that. And I think that's good to add to everyone else's comments. I mean, we can definitely echo everything that's been said so far. But to see that, that different part of it from a, a little child's eyes, you think that that's how every family is. And it's sad to think that, that not everyone has that experience. Hi, my name is Charlie Price. Um, Bonnie's sister, Lonnie, was my wife, um, who died almost five years ago. Um, when I met Bonnie, it was shortly after Scotty was born, and Lonnie and I went up to uh, see Scotty, and um, and that was the first time I had an opportunity to meet Wayne and Christy and Bonnie. And Bonnie, frankly, scared me um, <laughs> when I first met her. 
Um, you know, we're all talking nice, but, you know, Bonnie was a formidable woman, um, as many of you know. And um, she was a great advocate for her sisters. And she was determined that I was not going to swoop in and do anything bad to Lonnie in any way. And so she was, uh, it took her several years, I think, until she finally accepted that I was okay. Um, you know, and uh, through the years, I think we've developed a very good relationship. But what really was, I guess what I want to share today is when Lonnie um, developed her cancer. And it was difficult um, as a caregiver, and, and I know that Wayne has gone through that as well. Um, to take care of everything and do everything you need to do. And Bonnie would take extended trips to Florida um, to come and stay with us and make dinner and take care of it, take the load off of me and to take care of Lonnie and the kids. And during that time, she would also ask me how I was doing. And she says, you know, as the caregiver, you, you know, you, no one takes care of you. No one helped. What do you need? What do you need from me? What can I do for you? And, and no one actually was doing that. Um, and it was wonderful. And that's just how Bonnie was. And um, it was always about someone else. And I always felt guilty taking her away from Wayne and the kids. And, and she's like, yeah, they're fine. Um, <laughs> but, she, but she was wonderful. And I, and I keep hoping, and I, and I know this is true, that Bonnie was waiting for her um, when she got there. My name is Ted Murphy, and when Nancy and I first came into town, I think we were only here about two weeks. And Wayne and Bonnie had us over for dinner with Mike and Cindy Lestoria. And it was the way they opened their home up to us that made us recognize just what a special place Houghton was so quickly. I remember at dinner I had mentioned that I enjoyed cooking, and Bonnie... A few minutes went by, and she brought the question back up. So she said, you, uh, you enjoy cooking, she asked while looking at Wayne. <laughs> and I remember it was shortly after that that Michael Story asked me to shut up. <laughs> what I learned uh, in those early years living in Houghton and beginning our family was just how uh, there was no distinction between the yards in town. And when I look at all those photographs when our kids were all little, there were a lot of children at those picnics that didn't belong to any of us. <laughs> and they were a lot of our pictures. They would just sort of show up. Uh, but they, the way they opened their home up to us became a model. Uh, even that first time we had dinner with them, the evening ended with a very serious conversation between Nancy and Bonnie. In, in that very quick period of time, she went from, hello, it's nice to, nice to see you, nice to have you in town, to this level of sharing that I think we all treasured so much about her. Uh, we had the opportunity to be with Wayne and Bonnie on Sunday last week. Uh, Nancy and so many of the people in the community were making trips to try to be helpful, to be supportive and on that last day Bonnie would pretty much uh, be in a sort of semi-conscious state but there was one moment when she sort of looked at Nancy and smiled and said it's, it's so good to see you I'm glad you're here
And it seems so funny to me that that was almost the exact thing she said to us that first Sunday. It's so good that you're here. And we'll miss her. I'm Bonnie's father, Jim Wheeler. I just couldn't say, uh, stay seated any longer. I had to relate this. That when Sharon was expecting Bonnie and time for delivery was coming close, Bonnie was not cooperative at all. So we got in our station wagon and rode around the hills of Binghamton, found as many bumpy roads as we could, and as many curves and stops and so on. But as I remember it, that didn't work either. In her own time, <clears throat> she came. And that's been her life. In her time, she did what God told her to do. And I guess I have to mention also, almost after 57 years, she decided to provide for me a birthday on my 80th birthday. This was last October. And just think of all that she had been through, all of the pain that she'd experienced, and yet, <laughs> and yet she was willing to do that for me. And it was one of the highlights, certainly, of last year. And I can almost say one of the highlights of my life because of the way Bonnie conducted that birthday party. All of the girls contributed to it. All of them worked on it. But Bonnie was the spearhead and the organizer and the master of ceremonies at the birthday party. And it was a, a wonderful, wonderful experience. But that's Bonnie. Despite her pain and her suffering, the uncertainty of the future, yet she thought about me and about doing something that would be helpful to me. Right afterward, she actually spent some time in the Oswego Hospital. She was kind of worn out with that, and she went through a very difficult time. But I can't thank her enough, and all that I've heard, you know, how, how can you be filled with any more pride for a wonderful woman? No, I think it was about five years ago, maybe six. But um, I was having a conversation with Wayne, and there was somebody else there. And he said, well, I'm sorry, but I have to go. I have to go to the college farm and get some straw. And I said, straw? What do you need straw for? And Bonnie needed straw because she had a manger 
that she wanted to fill with straw for Christmas. And that stayed with me for a long time. And if you've been in my Sunday school class, five-year-olds, I have a manger. And I put straw in it. And each child gets to lay there. But it was an influence that was done through Bonnie in her sense of decorating into having an object lesson. An object lesson that is meaningful to me and to the Sunday school children that I teach. This year, I put it on my front porch with a bunch of Christmas lights in the inside so that Jesus could be the center. But it was all because of somebody else having an object lesson that spoke to me. Thank you. Thank you, Wayne, for mentioning it. If you're able to stay for the luncheon, I'm sure there are many more things you'd like to share with the family. I want to encourage you, even in the next week or two, to uh, drop them a note, uh, something that, that you would like them to know about your relationship with Bonnie, some way that she impacted your life. And those kinds of things are so important for the family to hear.
I'd like to read a few verses from the fourth chapter of Luke's gospel. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world in which sin and all of its consequences have infiltrated our world to its core. Because of human sin, we hurt one another. We make decisions that hurt ourselves. We, because of sin, things happen in our world that are unfair, unjust, often unexplainable. We live in a world of pain and suffering, a world in which bad things happen to good people, a world in which people get cancer and die. And today we are faced with the reality of this world in which we live. But we also live in a world in which there are people who decide to do something about this world in which we live. In all of its fallenness. And Bonnie Macbeth was one of those people. You have heard lots of stories today about the investment that Bonnie made in her life so that it would mean something for people, particularly people who are vulnerable, people whose lives have been turned upside down, people who have been devastated by sin and the evil in our world. I haven't known Bonnie as long as many of you have, but it didn't take me long to understand her heart. She cared about people. Started with her family. You couldn't be around her very long and not see that. She loved you. So proud of you. I see so much of her in each of you. But it didn't end with her family. I can think of times when she was in the throes of chemotherapy, the pain of the neuropathy, 
And invariably, she would turn the conversation from herself to other people. How is so-and-so doing with their illness? How is that person dealing with the circumstances, the difficult things of their life? Even when she was struggling so much with her own pain, she was thinking about other people because she just simply cared about people. And of course, it was her concern for people that led her to begin Hope Refugee Services. Her heart was moved for people facing the fears of leaving all that's familiar and moving to this country where so much is unfamiliar. She cared about people who were vulnerable and frightened and hurt and feeling helpless and lost, and she did something about it. In fact, that's why many of you are here today. But all of that leads us to the question, the most important question that confronts us today. What would make Bonnie sacrifice herself for other people? For people that she had a a long relationship with and people she didn't really know at all. For people who were in her close circle of friends and people who weren't. For people who had things in common with her and those who didn't. What caused her to see vulnerable, frightened, needy people with eyes of compassion and mercy and inspired her to do something about the sin and evil and injustice and pain that's so prevalent in our fallen world? There's only one word that can really answer that foundational question about Bonnie's life, and that word is Jesus. Bonnie was so enamored with and so filled with Jesus that her life goal was to look like Jesus. The Jesus who comes into the world of pain and sorrow and sin and greed, a world of injustice, so much injustice, and declares, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus adds, the scripture that you've just heard has been fulfilled in your hearing today. Bonnie was who she was because at a young age, she responded positively to the truth of God's love in Christ. Christ who comes to surrender himself even to death so that all people would know the life-changing grace and love of God. And that decision changed her life and and it directed her life as long as she lived. Bonnie wasn't perfect, like none of us are perfect, and she would be the first one to remind us of that. But her life goal was to be so close to Christ, to surrender her life as fully as possible to Christ so that she looked as much as possible like Christ. It was Christ in her, controlling her life, that made her the person that we have heard so much about today. And you know, not everyone, even professing Christians, understand that kind of life surrendered to Christ. The people of Nazareth think Jesus is great until what he says gets a little bit too personal and then they're ready to toss him off a cliff. Surrender and sacrifice tend not to be our default way of living. And yet it's the life of Christ and it's the call of Christ and honestly it's the path to real living. 
It's only in Christ that today makes any sense. Only as we acknowledge today that Christ is risen and that the risen Christ alone has power over sin and evil, over injustice and pain, over death, that this gathering has such a strong scent of hope and peace and joy when humanly speaking, it ought to be anything but that. As much as I think Bonnie would be gratified to hear all the ways in which her life touched our lives. I'm certain that her greatest concern for today would be that we would understand that anything good in her was because of Jesus in her. It's because of Jesus in her that we come today not focused on on all the questions surrounding her suffering, but that we come today focused on Christ who changed her life, who gave her grace in the pain, And with whom she is now celebrating in heaven. Free, whole, healed. Joining God's people through the ages in worshiping Christ. So if you walk away today remembering anything about this gathering. Remember this. Open your life to Christ. Surrender your life fully to Christ. Make Christ the passion and the vision of your life. And your life will never be the same now and for eternity. For Christ who promises in the past to be faithful will continue to be faithful. And Christ who has loved us with an everlasting love continues to love us and call us calls us to embrace and to live that everlasting love as god was the vision of bonnie's life may he be the vision of ours this day and every day amen
receive the benediction. With the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.